Hi, I'm Jackie Urgo, President of the Marketing Directors, and you're listening to Real Direct. In this series, we'll be speaking to great minds and the future of residential real estate. Joining me now is David Browse, President of Browse Realty. Browse Realty owns and manages a large portfolio of property in New York City as well as the tri-state area. They specialize in long-term ownership, management, and development of high-quality, well-located commercial and residential real estate assets. Browse Realty is committed to preserving beautiful architecture by modernizing the interior spaces of their 20th century buildings through technology and green building upgrades. David, welcome to Real Direct. Thank you, Jackie. Happy to be here. Glad you are here. Tell me, what's your history in real estate? My history in real estate. I uh, graduated University of Pennsylvania. I went to Goldman Sachs. I spent two years in the real estate principal group there in the investment banking division. And I was a financial analyst and worked my tail off for two years looking at buying portfolios of property from the RTC and failing SNLs around Texas and Arizona, even New York. I uh, spent two years uh, doing big portfolios and then decided I wanted to get a little bit more hands-on into actual real estate developments, join other related companies and uh, worked there for a year on a whole bunch of new developments on the Upper East Side, Upper West Side, Union Square, Battery Park City. And after that, decided that if there was an opportunity to do new development for our family, that that would be a wonderful opportunity. At that point in time, a development site was starting to percolate on 57th Street between 3rd and Lex, where we had owned some property in combination with the Spitzer family. There were some plans that were in the mix that had been in the mix for about 20 or 30 years since we'd owned the property. I joined uh, Browse Realty in 1995, just as we were about to start planning that building, which turned into a 144-unit multifamily building with Spitzers that we still own to this day. So from that point on, I've gotten the development bug. We'd never really done new development at Browse Realty. Our family started the company uh, back in the 1920s uh, wow. up in Harlem. Uh, grandfather started the business, Jack Browse. His son, my father, Louis Browse, then joined us uh, in 1963. And uh, we started uh, moving into Midtown, Midtown South with a bunch of office buildings, very old office buildings, 100-year-old office buildings that were in great locations, great subway access, great transportation. And the bones of the buildings were great, but they really had not seen a lot of reinvestment. My father and his father spent a lot of time reinvesting money into these buildings. When I came in 95, we had never really done any residential. We'd never done any new development ground up. So when I came in, given my vast experience all of three <laughs> years from college, uh, I decided that uh, we wanted to move in a in a slightly different direction. So I spent a lot of time seeing what we were doing and what development sites we actually had in the portfolio already. And after 57th Street, really started doing some new development in upstate New York and Saratoga Springs, Fairfield County. We owned a property in Canaan, Newtown, uh, Danbury. And then in New York City, started looking at sites in Long Island City, uh, Queens, and in Manhattan. And uh, that kind of brings us to today where we've had some good success doing some new development. I've known you for years, and I've never heard that backstory. Very impressive. Very <laughs> impressive. And we worked with you in Long Island City at The Forge, which was an unbelievably successful job. What are the, some of the key factors you consider when you're locating a new residential development? So The Forge, uh, we had incredible success, and we owe so much of that to the marketing directors and to you and your team, Jackie. We are so focused on transportation is really kind of number one. I think it was Seymour Durst that always said that I don't want to ever buy a piece of property that I can't walk to. We are more on the, the subway and the, the city bike uh, mm -hmm. uh, side, so we don't have to walk there. But when we look at a new piece of property and you look at Long Island City, you look at one of the best subway infrastructures, in uh, certainly in the city, if not 
uh, in the country, you've got eight subway lines that are crisscrossing Lyon City and take you to Brooklyn, take you to elsewhere in Queens, and most notably Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan, one subway stop away from Lyon City, and you can't create that. Just to extend the seven train to Hudson Yard, right. billions of dollars. Right. So to do the amount of infrastructure that's already there is amazing. Uh, you've got the Queensboro Bridge, you've got the Midtown Tunnel, and then within Lyon City, you have just incredible old bones buildings. So the first building that my my father bought in 1980 was the old Brewster Carriage Manufacturing Building, which is now the headquarters of JetBlue Airways. Uh, Estee Lauder Aramis Division is there and a bunch of other uh, wonderful office tenants. Having that beachhead in 1980 in Lyon City, right at Queens Plaza, right at the Queensboro Plaza subway stop and the 59th Street Bridge, we then moved on to trying to, what else can we own in this area? And we looked at a site that was brought to us that was basically in foreclosure and uh, Blackstone was the lender. Blackstone said, we don't ever do new development, so they'll never be a client of yours. Right. Um, they always want to take others. Development is always a problem, so we'll foreclose and we'll we'll sell it to someone else. We looked at that and said, if we can buy the loan from Blackstone at a discount to what the land value would be worth, that would be a nice opportunity. It was right. This building was on Purvis Street. That piece of land was on Purvis Street. It had already been done. Uh, the de demolition had been done, and they had put one pile on the ground in 2008, uh, this is now 2011, so we're coming out of the financial crisis in 2011. That one pile on the ground preserved the 420A, old 420A, right. which was 100% market rate, and allowed us to build a 272-unit, uh, wonderful building with uh, with your help. And we brought you guys on super early. I'm not sure whether we brought you on like before the land closing or right after the land no, closing. But super early to help design the product and make sure that we were meeting the needs of the target market. And the, the key thing that I'll repeat a hundred times during this interview is how important it is to bring on the marketing directors early in your process. If you don't know what you're building and who you're building to and what the demographic of your potential renter is, you don't know what you're building and how to build the right product. Right. And if you bring TMD on a year after, you've already made a hundred mistakes before Jackie comes into the room. So from my perspective, you guys were one of the earliest uh, team members of that site, uh, which we eventually called the Forge. You know, a huge commitment to green, a huge commitment to art, and a huge commitment to really celebrating what was interesting about Lyon City and still is interesting in Lyon City. It's an industrial neighborhood. It was, it is the geographic center of New York City. Uh, incredible art community because the artists go right. where the cheaper rents are exactly. and the cheaper land values are. And we have a wonderful building on Union Square that was filled up with artists. And then all of a sudden, Union Square became very expensive and they started moving to Brooklyn. And then Brooklyn became more expensive. They moved to Lyon City. So we talked about transport, but I would also say follow the artists. Look at the demographics and see where the arts community is because they are kind that's of a there. very interesting trend. You know, I used to say follow Whole Foods mm -hmm. yeah, because they do all of their Whole research. Foods is way late. But yeah, the, the artists are way the idea. Follow the artists, follow the music, follow the culture, follow the interesting restaurants and the interesting bars and see where my you know college age uh, nieces and nephews and kids are finding really interesting places and they're not afraid to explore and you know go to Bushwick and oh my God, they have the best pizza uncle right. David. They have the best <laughs> bar and they have the best live music. That's really one of the great things about real estate is you just start keep finding new neighborhoods and neighborhoods that keep reinventing each other. Uh it's it's a wonderful business. Are you looking in Bushwick as well? We have looked many, many times in Bushwick. We are not looking right now in Bushwick. Okay. You've made a huge commitment and invested a lot of time into Long Island City as the head of bid. Right. So the Wild City bid was founded in uh, 2005 and uh, no one really raised their hand to, to lead this. So I was uh, I was tapped to be the, the founding chairman and no one has replaced me since. I've been the founding and the only chairman of Wild City bid. Uh, it puts us in a really wonderful opportunity to really see on the ground what is going on 
in the bid district. It started with only 84 buildings and now it is you know, a huge swath of Long City. We've expanded it twice. We're actually in the process of going through city council to expand it a third time. Vernon Boulevard, 44th Drive, Jackson Avenue, Queens Plaza, just huge swaths of what was commercial industrial property, which with your help has now turned 180 degrees into right. a thriving residential, residential neighborhood. 35,000 apartments have been built in the last, I don't know, eight years. Uh, hotels and you know lots of office buildings. The bid is really there to help with you know everything from planting flowers and uh, safety, security, graffiti removal, gum removal, putting benches and street lights and holiday decorations and a huge marketing function of trying to create a lot of connection between the disparate elements of the right. industrial community, the residential community, and the office community, all within one happy family in the Wild City Partnership. Uh, the bid kind of functions in that direction, and it's it's been wonderful to uh, to be a part of it. And to see over the years what Long Island City has become is unbelievable. And it hasn't really been in a long amount of time. We've owned since 1980. So from that perspective, well, from that perspective, forever. yes. Uh, in 1989, the City Corp building was built. In 2001, we signed this great lease with MetLife. And then since, I'd say, 2010, all of a sudden, all of the efforts started moving into residential. So the Forge uh, is, a, is a great example of that. The rents are incredible. Uh, the subways are wonderful, as we talked about before. You've got a really diverse community of, you know, the arts community, the culture is amazing, the restaurants are amazing. You have, I mean, really it's it's firing all cylinders right now. COVID definitely took a a, a big hit on uh, on the Long Island City, well, certainly the New York City community. But within a couple of months, we went from probably 60% occupied to 100% occupied. And we have not looked back since. And the rents continue to uh, go through the roof, and you know everybody is now looking to try to figure out what's the next development site. I know right. Goldman is building a big one a couple blocks away, but without 421A, it becomes a little tougher to justify rental. So it'll be interesting to see how that fills uh, fills out over time. I know you're building now in Manhattan, and you're developing a site on Second Avenue. How does 421A impact that site? Sure, uh, it's a huge impact. We have owned that site. It's on 39th and 2nd Avenue, uh, 729 to 739 2nd Avenue on the corner of 39th Street. My grandfather and uncles bought that in 1963. So uh, you have to be incredibly patient and long-term focused on uh, on real estate if you can hack it in the real estate development business. One of the great things about being a family business is that families last hopefully forever. Right. And you can have an incredibly long-term perspective on how real estate can evolve over cycles. And if you can't do it, then your kids can do it if they're sure. competent. And if they can't do it, then their grandkids can do it. So that building was literally bought knowing that the Second Avenue subway was eventually going to be built on Second Avenue. And it was going to go from 125th Street all the way down to Wall Street. And one of the stops might be 41st, 42nd Street because it would pair nicely with 42nd Street and Grand Central Station. So my uncles and grandfather bought this site on 39th to 40th and Second Avenue thinking at some point in the near future, it's be a in the ride. 60s, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> well, it took literally 50, no, 60 years, sorry, to get to where we are right now. We bought uh, so two sites in 63, two sites that uh, my father and I bought in 2011. And the last site we built that uh, we bought in the middle of COVID in, in 2021. Um, and that's going to be a magnificent site. Uh, 420A was a, a big issue because in June of 22, you had to have a pile in the ground, right. a footing in the ground in order to preserve the old 420A. 7030 Affordable New York housing development. And if you didn't get it in there, all of a sudden, everything grinds to a halt. So I think we will probably be one of the last sites that gets built in the old 421A. And because Albany can't agree on the new replacement for 421A, there's no new development going to happen. So 
The nice thing is that now construction costs are maybe going to start to decline a little bit. You're going to have more contractors available to start actually building these buildings right. than they were about a year ago when everybody was on full tilt. And uh, so we hope to, we have our land value very low, as you can imagine. Construction costs hopefully will come down a little bit and rents, with your help, we're going to continue to, to, to go northward. So we're very excited about that development. So all the points are coming together to guarantee the success of that job. We hope so. During the forge, we learned about your commitment to sustainability. How are you going to continue that in your new Second Avenue development? Remember, in the forge, we really had a great commitment to uh, to green design. We had a lead silver certification of the architect and, and you guys helping us out. What was important to the new generation of renters? And I think when you look at the Gen Z, Gen whatever that we are looking at as our renters, they are very eco-focused. They have and interest in doing things that are right for the environment. And they've grown up in a world where people are very concerned about global warming and climate change. And if you look at sea levels rising and you look at Long Island City, there's huge floods that are happening in certain areas of Long Island City. So one of the first things we did was raise all the essential mechanical systems, the second floor. So if there is a Hurricane Sandy or another event, and there's been lots of events, sure. not just a hurricane, we don't flood the building. And many of our peer buildings in Long Island City had floods. The elevators ran to a halt. They couldn't access lobbies. They didn't have electric, they don't have internet. Our tenants were able to function without any problems because of those kind of decisions. We have a commitment to uh, uh, solar power in that building. We have solar power is all along the penthouse, which is providing electricity to the uh, common areas. We experimented with a wind turbine, which didn't uh, pan out incredibly well, but uh, that was an interesting experiment that didn't cost us too much money that we uh, think at some point wind could be a, an interesting uh, source of electricity in New York City. We are uh, experimenting with green roofs. We're experimenting with using harvesting rainwater in huge uh, barrels. Uh, there's a fancier term for the barrels, but the barrels are holding rainwater and using those excess rainwater to feed all of our landscaping. So the green roofs otherwise would turn brown, but you're now using the rainwater and the cisterns in the basement and sprinkling your uh, your landscaping for you know weeks at a time during the summer when it's when it can be fairly dry. And throughout the building, there are signs erected throughout the building, a commitment to green design. Right. So with all of that, we've decided that this worked out really well in the Forge and our building at Second Avenue, we'd like to do the same thing. We probably won't go down the wind energy road because that, <laughs> uh, the technology hasn't really kept pace, but solar is incredible. Sure. There's still tax abatements available. The cost of solar panels has actually decreased significantly compared to when we were building the Forge, which was 2017. And then we're going to be doing all the same issues with raising mechanicals. The site on Second Avenue is actually higher above sea level than the Forge in Lyle City. So we have those those benefits, but it'll be the same commitment to green roofs and green design that we know the next generation of renters is going to be interested in doing. And when you're faced with a long-term family business owning these buildings, we don't sell. Right. We so develop, it's very important we to add into the future. What are, what are people going to want in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? It's not even going to be that far away. They want it today. Exactly right. So we feel really good about that kind of green design. We're not 100% sure about LEED because LEED doesn't seem to be all that appropriate to urban high-rise mm -hmm. development in New York City. It's a great development tool for, you know, suburban office in, in Texas uh, and low-rise, but not great for high-rise. So we're experimenting with what types of other programs are out there, but it will definitely be a green design. And how do you adapt and include the changing idea of luxury in your development projects? Obviously, the sustainability is really a big point of luxury sure. and speaks to the different generations' aspirations and desires in the building. But how do you define luxury? We asked the uh, the good folks at TMD how we shouldn't define luxury. Right. And we are, we're building a beautiful building on 2nd Avenue at 39th Street. 
who are we building for? We could be building for, you know, people that are 55 and over. We could be building for students. We could be building a hotel. And there's so many uses in those four walls. So we come to TMD and we say, please tell us the demographics of what the potential renters are to come to 39th and 2nd. You guys have produced an incredible study and you did this way before we hired an architect, way before we hired contractors. You were one of the first people on the team and you guys created a great demographic study and said, you know what? The perfect renters are probably going to be between the ages of, you know, 26 and a half and 36.25 and they earn this amount of money and they're going to want to walk to work or they're going to want to be able to city bike and you have a city bike station right in front and you're going to be able to have the express bus and you're going to have, you know, all this great things. You probably don't need parking because that kind of a renter doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't own a car. And with that huge demographic study, here's my comps and here's my comp set. You've got this building and that building. And this is what kind of rent they have. And this is studios ones and twos. And together we came out with a great plan of, you know, this is exactly the percentage of studios ones and twos. Right. The architecture plays a big role because you can't always have everything you want. And who's the architect you chose for this building? Sensuretti. Great. Sensuretti, who's a, a really well-respected architect, great design. They also do the interiors, the forge, same thing. We had one firm do... Uh, exterior and interior design. It keeps one happy family. But in terms of luxury, a lot of the things that we're deciding right now are the amenity program. And what people in their 20s and 30s want today could change. So to have a very oversized luxury amenity rooftop, uh, interior clubhouse, uh, basement space, lobby space, what do you have in terms of square footage? You can always change what you have in those walls. You can't grow the amenity program and start taking back apartments. That's a little complicated over time. Mm-hmm. So we feel certainly we did at the Forge. We had a lot of room there. We have a little bit less room on Second Avenue, but an oversized amenity program is always really important. A lot of outdoor space, a lot of sunshine, a lot of uh, yoga, meditation, and a lot of uh, co-working space, uh, golf simulators, uh, you know, foosball, ping pong, billiards, a bar, it's a, a child's playroom, laundry, everything you can imagine. Really becomes a very self-contained community and you have it all. Which part of the development process do you think is the most exciting? Uh, there's so many exciting parts. So, I mean, for me, looking at the land and just interesting, just like dreaming what could, I mean, if you remember what the forge looked like before we it was, yes, I there do were remember. people living in office furniture on the grounds that we had to make sure we're, we're not there when we were starting construction. Uh, you had to have a lot of vision. There was graffiti everywhere, which we then used the graffiti in the lobby. Right. There was a big rooster. Yeah, I remember. We are always trying to figure out where location, location. So once you've honed on the location, then it's like, you know, the sky's the limit. You could have built anything there. So for me, the creative process like starts, you're looking at the land. And I look at so much land. As you guys all know I'm an avid city biker and I'm constantly, I like the subway, but when you're in the subway, you're not looking at anything. You're looking at your device in an underground tin can. Right, right. When you're city biking, when you're walking, I kayak voraciously in the East River and the Hudson River. You're looking at waterfront sites. You're always looking. And every piece of land or every old building that can come down is a different development opportunity. And they're all, I mean, they're all exciting to me. But throughout, I mean, it's sitting down with you guys and planning what the building's going to look like and who are the demographic of the renters. It's the groundbreaking ceremony. It's the topping out ceremony. You love it all. I love it all. (laughs) It is great. The first renter that comes in, I remember I was so worried before the forge, you know, you spend years buying and building and financing and you finally open the doors like what if the renters don't come like luckily it's a little it's a little you're you're putting a lot of faith that you know this building in new york city with this team that we built the right product and it happened so that's that's pretty darn exciting it is from the beginning to the end and then keeping it occupied and then holding it long term make sure your kids like the building so it stays in the family 
Um, and what do you think the most challenging part is? We know what you love. So you are dealing with a lot of different people. And so creating a cohesive team that likes each other, that respects each other, that doesn't talk over each other. You've seen our meetings. We probably have 25 people in these meetings and some of them are on Zoom, unfortunately, and some of them are in person. To create a team that actually wants to stay together and likes each other and is not a bunch of jerks to each other, you don't have to be a jerk right. and be in real estate and be a success. There are so many people that are terrible examples. They don't treat each other nicely. They don't talk nicely to their coworkers or to the people that work under them. If you treat people with respect, hopefully they respect you back. In a family business, you have to be very careful that no one thinks that you know you were handed a silver spoon and you're just entitled right. to be able to do all this because you're the right. I really do try hard to make sure that everybody feels included and make sure everybody's voice is heard at the table. Whether you're a junior, junior architect or you're a subcontractor who's laying out pipe in the basement, everybody is treated as a, as a human being and a really important part of the team. You can't build this building without the guy who's putting the pipe in the basement. Yes. So a lot of the hard work is really creating a team where people feel valued and people feel excited about the end product. I mean, so I they am, contribute. Exactly. I am so excited when I come to these meetings, when I come to the site, I've got my hard hat on and you know that I bring my kids to the site and I, I mean, it's just, it's one of the joys of being in the real estate business is uh, looking at the future of these very long-term assets, right? You're building a building that's going to be around for maybe a hundred years or more. We own buildings that we, that are way beyond a hundred years. So you're making a real change in the fabric of New York city. You're helping create a new neighborhood of Long Island city is kind of evolved because of some of the things that we've done there. It's very, very exciting, but you also have a responsibility to don't screw it up. It's amazing how your enthusiasm comes across. Seriously, it's a, great it's, it's a pleasure. Good. What factors could attract people that moved away during COVID, right? That really hurt the real estate industry, and it was a very scary time. You said the forge recovered very quickly, but do you think people are going to come back to urban spaces? Do you think things are going to go back to normal? Yes. Uh, residential is already back and, and beyond. Right, uh, the rents are much higher now than they were pre-COVID. Uh, we are very excited about the future of residential. We're excited about the retail is now coming back. We have a lot of retail spaces in the basis of our buildings. The big issue that everybody's focused on right now is office, and is the return to office going to happen? Is work from home the way to go? I, you, and I both agree very strongly on this that you don't get productivity, you don't get creativity from people zooming at home. You're looking on your email, you're looking on the internet, you're kind of tuning in with half of an ear to what's going on on Zoom because, oh, that part of the meeting is not for me. If you're all at a conference room mm -hmm. and you're all contributing, you know what? No one slides. Right. I see you over there and you're looking at your device and you're not participating in the meeting. Like, shame on you. You're spending the time. Make it worth your while. Contribute to something. And if you're all together, you know what? If you're the youngest person in the room to the oldest person in the room and all the disparate things that we just talked about, everybody has a role and everybody being together. And it's not just real estate. It's all the creative industries. Even the tech guys that think that they could all tech at home and tech in Aspen and tech in the Hamptons, they're all doing better when they're all in a room together. You feel like you're on an island in the middle of nowhere. You don't feel part of a team. And human nature is very social, right? Even if you're the most introverted person in the right. world, I think you do better with other people in the room, other people in the office, other people that you can have lunch with, other people. When you come into the office and you're making chit chat before your day gets started, you're coming into the meeting, you leave the meeting. You're the most junior person. I saw when I was at Goldman Sachs and 21 years old. I left the meeting. I might not say anything at the meeting, but I left the meeting and I could tag along the vice president and ask him a quick question about something I didn't understand at the meeting. You don't have that on Zoom. On Zoom, you press end, you see ya, and I don't see that vice president until the next meeting where I'm probably not going to talk to him. Again. Right. So there's no personal interaction and you really miss a lot. 
But what are you doing in your commercial buildings to make them more inviting, to try and bring people back to the offices? It's a big issue. Uh, we're hiring a lot of really talented architects and really ta talented people to try to guide us as to what the next generation, mm -hmm. this generation and beyond, of office employees and office tenants wants. So it used to be we would have the office building. We would sign a 10-year lease with a great tenant. And we would expect that the tenant to keep their employees happy would do all of the stuff within the four walls of their tenant space. You have the 10th floor. I'm going to leave you alone. As long as the elevator works and we get you there, Yeah, it's not my responsibility. It's your responsibility, tenant. The shoe is totally on the other foot now. So the JetBlue building um, in Lyon City, uh, we are spending about 30 plus million dollars reinvigorating the entire amenity program. So it's a new gym. It's a new conference center. It's a new food hall. It was a boring old cafeteria. Now it's a food hall like an urban space with lots of different uh, exciting options. It's a new rooftop with you know trees and canopies and shade. It's a great club area. It, literally, it's soup to nuts. Every part of that building is now like an exciting place to go. If your office is less exciting than your apartment, you're going to stay in your apartment. Right. And you design great apartments with great <laughs> amenities. So what's going to make me leave the Forge? What's going to make me leave uh, Second Avenue? It's got to be an exciting office. And it like from the minute I see the door to the building, to the lobby, to how security greets me, to the elevator, to the rooftop, to that where I go to lunch, all that stuff has to be better than what I'm being offered at my residential building. And the buildings that we have, these are well-paid people that probably have really nice apartments or really nice houses. And So you have to make it that good. You have to make it that good. So I think the future is if you make it great, they'll come back. If you build it, right, they yeah, will come. they will come. I feel very good about the future of New York City office. If you were to tell somebody going into the real estate business, what best advice would you give them? So I guess it depends on the part of the business, but I mean, the long-term aspect of real estate, maybe less so if you're on the office brokerage side, because you're kind of transactional, but even that you, you get office, amazing office brokers. Some of my best friends have lifelong relationships with their tenants and with their owners, and they're constantly doing transactions that are quick, but you, the repeat business is how you really get staying power in this business. And you know that well, mm -hmm. a lot of clients that have been with TMD for a long time. I mean, it's patience. It's, I mean, this is not just real estate, it's any industry. It's patience, it's intelligence, it's read everything. My father, literally, we would joke about the fact that we would have newspapers from every outlandish place in, in America where we own real estate. And he would read every newspaper of every place we own property. And, you know, my stupid city biking on every street and kayaking on. Stupid city biking. I think that's incredible. That's great. But getting out there and seeing the property and talking to the guys that are working in your buildings and the women who work in your buildings and meeting with your tenants and dealing with everything that comes along your way and not everything's super sexy and fun. Right. You get roof leaks and you get elevator breakdowns and all that stuff. And it's a question of how you deal with that, how you deal with people. But to have a very long-term perspective, this is a very long-term asset. So to have a very long-term asset holder, in our case, a very long-term family business, you could be a fund, you could be a REIT, you could be anything, lots of people with long-term intentions for holding their assets. But with long-term means patience. So we could weather COVID because we had really low debt and we were really patient. And we said, you know what? This is horrendous. We're all working in our basements and on Zoom and we didn't see each other for a little while. We came back pretty quickly, but you had to have patience that we're not leaving New York City and we feel really good about the future of New York City and this is what we're gonna do. So while the tenants aren't coming in, this is a great opportunity to reinvigorate every elevator cab and every lobby and every amenity space. And that's what we're doing in our entire portfolio right now. So it became an opportunity. If you kind of put your head down and you say, oh, what was me? you might lose the long-term big picture of what the opportunities are. David, this was great. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us, 
To learn more about David Browse and Browse Realty, please visit browserealty.com. I'm Jackie Ergo. Thank you for listening to Real Direct, elevating residential real estate.